0: And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowest state of his handmaid. From behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is on those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his posterity forever. I'm sure this is true for all of you, but at least for myself as a priest, uh, I have spoken with, every kind of person imaginable. Obviously, religious people, but atheists, agnostics, people who are rich, people who are poor, people who are young, people who are old, every different race, every ethnicity. And do you know what we all have in common It's actually quite a few things, but one of the most obvious things to me that we all have in common is that we are all in need. I have never met one person yet who is, whose life is complete in and of themselves. Now, I've met a lot of people who think that they are complete, but the reality is none of us are by ourselves. I have a great, I think uh, maybe the right word would be reverence for AA and for people who are in AA or just people who are honestly struggling uh, with addictions. And the reason why is because I don't think I've ever met a group of people who are more humble and who are more holy than at least the people that I know uh, who are in AA. If you've ever been to an AA meeting, or if you haven't, I would highly recommend you go to one. They are so utterly refreshing. And this is what I love about it. In AA, somebody stands up and they're like, Hi, my name's Bob, and basically my life's a mess. And then they sit down. And then, Hi, my name's Helen. I'm a total mess. And they sit down. And I'm like, that is so refreshing. <laughs> I'm like, Can you just say that again? <laughs> Can I record it and just listen to it on repeat? When I hear that, I'm like, oh, thank God. Thank God that somebody is being honest. You know, we tend not to be like that. We are almost the exact opposite. We're like, hi, I'm Bob, and I have everything together. (laughs) I have the degrees, I have the cards, I have the years in religious life, whatever it might be, to prove that I have my life together. You know, when people talk like that, or think like that, it's very clear they have no clue who they are. And I think here is what is oftentimes so frustrating for us. There is absolutely nothing of this world that can satisfy that need. And that doesn't mean we won't try. We will desperately try to find something in this world to satisfy that need. But interestingly enough, this also includes our spiritual life. Our spiritual life in this world does not satisfy this need. Obviously, it orients us towards the one who does, but it does not take away this need. In fact, uh, a mature spiritual life acknowledges this need more honestly and more humbly. And in fact, the more we are growing in holiness, the more we recognize it. In, in a sense, it almost becomes a, a deeper ache within us of our need for God. This is why, when some people talk about the spiritual life as a success story, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> what gospel are you reading? And so this is, I think, perhaps the most fundamental truth about us. We are in need of everything. And how we respond to this truth will ultimately shape our lives and our destiny. Now, today, if we say that somebody is needy, right, we're usually referring to a sort of an imbalance in their psychological or emotional life to some degree. Which, of course, we all are to some degree. So when we say somebody's needy, it's certainly not a compliment. However, being needy is part of who we are. No matter how organized our psychological and emotional life is, no matter how we can make ourselves appear before others, that we are different. The truth always remains the same. We are in need. How do we respond to this? Usually, Not very well. Oftentimes when our neediness is presented before us, or when we become aware of it, we almost automatically begin to point fingers and play the blame game. This is my parents' fault, or this is my superior's fault, or this is my teacher's fault which, to some extent, certainly, those things are true to a degree. But in other words, when our need is presented to us, we generally try to run from it or hide from it by denying it. If there is anyone who knows their need for God, and doesn't run from it, or doesn't try to hide from it. It is Our Lady. She says in the Magnificat, My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has regarded the lowest state of His handmaiden. Do you know what a handmaiden is? A handmaiden is a personal maid or a female servant. Generally, obviously, of lower status. Again, not exactly a compliment. This is not something we would aspire to. But Our Lady is describing herself as a servant of the Lord who is lowly and who needs a Savior. And she's not embarrassed about it, like we often are about our need. And what is so strange about this is that it is this need that she has that causes her to rejoice. Oftentimes, our need turns us inwards, towards ourselves. And in that posture of us staring at ourselves by ourselves, what usually happens? We start grasping at life. We start grasping at people. We start trying to manipulate situations, circumstances and events. We try to force them to complete us, to satisfy us, to give us some feeling of fulfillment. In other words, instead of receiving life from God, we are now trying to control it and to fulfill ourselves by ourselves or by our own means. Why does Our Lady's need cause her to rejoice? I think the answer is very simple. It's because she knows that Jesus is the whole reason for her existence. Mary never tries to be an independent person. She never tries to have her own life to do what she wants necessarily, what is popular or what other people are doing. Mary knows that Jesus, and only Jesus, completes the mystery that is her life. Mary knows that she has no life apart from Jesus. And she not only knows this, but she embraces this. Which I think is what is so different from us, or at least from myself. I'll just speak for myself. Mary lives her whole life with and in God her Savior. Thomas Merton once said, Our Lady's highest privilege is her poverty. And her greatest glory is that she is most hidden. And here it comes. The source of all her power is that she is nothing in the presence of God. Would you like me to say that again? Mm -hmm. Our Lady's highest privilege is her poverty. And her greatest glory is that she is most hidden. And the source of all her power is that she is nothing in the presence of God. Who is this woman who literally finds the glory of God in what oftentimes repulses us? and causes us to run away and hide. You know, all of our uh, dogmatic teachings about Mary, from her divine motherhood to her perpetual virginity, her immaculate conception, her assumption, they are all based on the fact of her need for Jesus. all of these dogmatic teachings are impossible by herself. Everything about her is related to her son. This is why we said in the beginning, Mariology strengthens Christology. Because apart from him, she is nothing. And so Mary's glory, if we can say that, is that she embraces both her need and her Savior. But they are identical. Her need is for her Savior. But she does this in a way that is so profound that to this day and forever, all generations call her blessed. Mary shows us both in word and in action that this need is intended by God not to make us feel insecure about ourselves, but that it is meant to open us to salvation. That this, in fact, is what salvation really looks like. And that this need is not meant to be an empty space within us but a place where God desires to dwell and to fill with his presence and his love you know there are many um, models we could use to as a sort of an analogy or a metaphor for the spiritual life and one of my favorite is that the spiritual life is, in a very real way, it's like therapy. right? God is our divine physician. He is our divine healer. And I think this understanding makes the spiritual life so much more, I want to say, even beneficial to us. Because when we know we are in deep need of healing and therapy on every level, we can go to God with less of our ego than I think in some of the other models, maybe when we try to view the spiritual life as like something I just got to get right or something that I just have to conquer. Seeing it in the terms of sort of a, a therapy makes us approach God, I think, much more humbly, and opens the path to greater healing. All of this is background for Mary's song of praise that we call the Magnificat. And I think it would be helpful to, in some sense, dissect the Magnificat a bit to understand and to see these truths more deeply. In the nine verses of the Magnificat, Mary references herself four times in God 18, Two of the times she references herself, she is praising God. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And the other two times she references herself, she is proclaiming God's work in her. All generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. Even Our Lady's self-references are turned into praise. Mary's accomplishments is God's mercy and God's love. Even when Mary is talking about herself, she is praising God. Because she never wants to be associated or thought of apart from God. You know, some people, both Catholic and Protestant, might be suspicious that too much attention on Mary will detract from Jesus and take away from the glory that is due to Him. That's completely impossible, as the Magnificat proves. It's impossible because Mary does not have some secret ulterior motive. She lives, she breathes, she speaks, and she acts only for the glory of God. In other words, Mary lives entirely and purely for God alone. Bishop Fulton Sheen says that Mary receives praise as a mirror receives light. She stores it not, nor even acknowledges it, but makes it pass from her to God, who is due all praise and honor and thanksgiving. Her whole personality is to be at the service of God. This is why we never have to worry about Mary distracting us from Jesus. But what a beautiful thing to say. Her whole personality is directed, is to be at the service of God. In the Magnificat, Mary references God 18 times. He who is mighty, holy is his name. He has shown strength. He has scattered the proud. He has filled the hungry with good things. What's the point of all of this praise of God? It's that she understands who God is. That He is namely Savior. That He is her strength. That He and He alone completes her need. And she is reminding us not only to turn to God, but also to expect everything from him. And in the meantime, while we're waiting, to praise him because he is faithful and good. And I think on another level, what Mary is doing here. She's simply living and embodying the gospel before it is even preached, before it is even written down, and even before it comes out of the lips of Jesus, right? In John, Jesus Jesus tells us, without me, you can do nothing. Before Jesus even uttered those words, Mary believed that. And she was already living it. St. Paul says in Romans, we do not know how to pray as we ought. To which Mary would say, Amen. Then she would say, let him teach you how to pray. The core message that Jesus and St. Paul are proclaiming and in which Mary is living can be summed up, I believe, in what is the essence of our baptism, which is what? Adopted sonship. That we are children of God. Of God, And what is characteristic of children? They are always dependent. But they are dependent not the way a slave is dependent on his master, but the way a child is dependent on his parents for everything. In our relationship with God, we never grow up. We are always son or daughter. As beautiful as this is, and as beautiful as this can sound, we struggle with this. We wrestle with this. We oftentimes want to protect ourselves, or perfect ourselves, excuse me, by ourselves. We want to appear to everyone, whether in our community or where we live or even in our ministry, that we have it together. But here is the honest truth we don't. I don't. I'm pretty sure you don't either. And we don't need to. Thank God we don't need to. This is why we have a Savior. And that Savior is not you. It's not I. It's not any other person. It's not our vocation. It's not our prayer life. It's not our ministry. It's only Jesus. So often we want to give God our best, as we should. So often we want to do great things for God, as we should. Yet if we do not surrender this fundamental need for Him in everything, we ultimately have nothing to give God. And we will never be able to do anything from God, for God. You know, it's funny, we want to give God our best, and God wants us to give Him our worst. You know, every time I'm about to preach, I, I take responsibility for my role as a preacher. I pray and I prepare as best as I can. But when the hour arrives, I always have to remind Jesus, these are your people. They're your problem, not mine. <laughs> if you want them to get anything, you're going to have to speak through me because I just, I have nothing without you. There's a lot of pretending and acting in the world. And in religious life. We don't have to live like that with Jesus. We don't need to try to cover over our imperfections. Discipleship is not a performance. It's surrendering our need to Him. Each day, each moment, this is where our strength comes from. And this is where true joy can be found. Let us ask Our Lady today to help us to be more like her, surrendering our need more deeply to God.